Well, good morning. Welcome to church. Let me add to Lou's welcome. It's great to have you with us this morning. And uh, we are in our last week of our Jonah series. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at chapter four together um, this morning and uh, encourage you to, to use your phones or use your paper Bibles, whatever you've got. Otherwise, the scriptures will be on the screen. Uh, follow along. Uh, so far in this series, we've been uh, discovering the, the grace and the, the depth of God's mercy towards Jonah, uh, towards the sailors in the first chapter, towards the Ninevites in chapter 3. God's ru- grace runs deep through the story of Jonah. And uh, last week we talked about um, how Nineveh is this representation of, uh, of sin and, and a sin uh, Filled city, the worst kind of people who did the worst kinds of things. And um, Jonah didn't want them to know or receive any forgiveness from God because in his mind, they didn't deserve it. They were terrible people and, and especially terrible people towards the Israelites, towards the people of God, towards his own people. Um, but Jonah spent all his energy and all his time fighting God and running from God's plan for his life, only for God to use him anyway. Only for God to use Jonah in his reluctance, in his half-hearted attempts of obeying and giving um, Nineveh the the message that God had for them, God still used him anyway, uh, much to Jonah's um, disgust. And so we, we talked about this idea that forgiveness is for God's friends, but it's also for God's enemies. It's for, for you, it's for me. It's for everyone. It's for all of us, the best of us and the worst of us. God's forgiveness is for everybody. And we're going to see now in chapter 4 Jonah's response to um, God forgiving Nineveh for um, Nineveh's repentance. And uh, we're going to see that, that Jonah's not a happy camper. He's not a happy guy. So let's have a look in Jonah chapter 4 from verse 1 to 11. It says this, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, and the one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, Is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide a shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. And Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. And when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. And as the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. And then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labour over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than a hundred 20,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this morning and for uh, another opportunity to gather around your word. And God, I thank you that as we gather together, 
Although we are apart, we are unified by your word and by your spirit as your body this morning. And so, God, we pray that you would speak to us in our homes, in our hearts, in our families. God, would you speak your word of truth, of encouragement, of challenge. Spur us on to action as we hear your voice this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things I love about kids, my own kids, but kids in general, is their honesty. You know, you never have to wonder, especially what a young toddler thinks. They don't have a filter. They don't have uh, an ability to, to work out if what they're saying is socially acceptable. They just say exactly what it is they're thinking. They don't hold back in their appraisal of you or of what you do. I know this is especially true of our boys. You know, sit down for dinner. I don't like this food. It's disgusting. And you think, oh, my gosh, that, that hurts a bit. Boom. Or my boys say to me a bit, I don't like you as much as mummy. Ouch. That hurts. Well, you're not a very good driver, Dad. Oof, it's not feeling good. Or I like the Richmond Tigers a little bit, Dad. That's too far. You cannot say that. You're kicked out. You have to find another Dad. No, I'm joking. But, you know, kids are just so honest sometimes. They have no filter. They have no way of sort of thinking about, oh, should I say this or should I not say this? And when someone says, can I be honest with you? And you think, oh, I'd rather you wouldn't. Uh, I, I prefer you to just be kind and nice and just say what I want to hear rather than be honest to me. And we sometimes cringe at these words. We don't always like, what he- we don't always like hearing what people really think because it might hurt us, it might threaten us, it might make us feel uncomfortable. I love the start of this chapter because Jonah is so honest with God. He, he doesn't hold back, he doesn't filter his words, he doesn't filter his emotion. It's not to say that his emotion or his feelings are right, but he is completely transparent before God. He tells God exactly what he thinks. It's a very honest prayer. And God is not threatened by honesty. He's not worried about how we feel. If you read through the Psalms, you can see time and again the honesty of the writer, of how they feel towards the enemy, how they feel towards God, how they feel towards their own life. And here is no different. Jonah, it says, was greatly displeased. He was furious. He prayed to God, God, isn't this what I said while I was still at my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, the one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. So Jonah is angry at God. I mean, it's, it's funny why he's angry with God. He's angry at God because God is so gracious and compassionate, so loving, But he is angry with God. And I think God wants us to come to him like this, to come to him in an unfiltered way. He doesn't want us to come and pray to to him what we think he wants to hear, but he wants us to come to him as we are, as we feel, expressing exactly what's on our minds and what's on our hearts. Do you ever have those certain feelings about life or what God asks of you? that you don't feel good about, you struggle with, you disagree with perhaps even. And maybe you even struggle to wholeheartedly obey God in certain areas of your life. God wants you to bring those cares, those concerns, those feelings of hurt, of anger, of frustration, of confusion. He's not threatened by honesty. He's more worried about your facade. God loves when we come to him as we are with what we have. Jesus did this. You think about this back in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Jesus did this, and he was without sin. He expressed his feelings towards God. Here's a little snippet in Luke 22, 42. Jesus facing the cross, about to head into um, giving his life away, says, His Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus wasn't feeling great about going to the cross. It was causing him distress. The next couple of verses talk about how he was sweating like drops of blood. He was that anxious. He was that worried. He, it was causing him that much turmoil. And he was honest before God. God, if, I don't want to do this. I, don't, I do not want to go to the cross. I do not want to die. I do not want to face this the way you're calling me to. I don't feel good about it. But of course, Jesus was out without sin. And so he goes and does it anyway. But he was honest before his father. I don't want to do this. I want out. If there's a way out of this, I want to take it. An honest prayer is better than a token prayer. And I want to encourage you this morning, in your prayer life, in your expression towards God, be as honest and as vulnerable as you possibly can. Because that's where God will bring the most change. That's where God will bring the most freedom. That's where he'll bring the most redemption. He doesn't want just a token prayer. He wants an honest prayer. Jonah, in part of his prayer, he says this. He says, now, Lord, take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. And he says that um, further down again in um, verse 9. Uh, it's better for me to, sorry, in verse 8. It's better for me to die than to live. Jonah, throughout this whole story, has a very selfish focus. The whole time when you read this story, you can see that Jonah is really only concerned about himself, about his own well-being, about his own desires, about his own sense of safety and concern. He's only concerned about himself. And we're going to see that part of Jonah's problem, part of why he felt so angry towards God's towards God was because of his own selfishness. It's better for me, he says. Don't worry about what's good for somebody else. Don't worry about what is good for the Ninevites. It's better for me in this situation for me to die. I mean, we can relate this to our current climate with the COVID restrictions. There's people like this. It's better for me not to deal with restrictions, for me to go out and do whatever I want to do. And we don't think about the vulnerable. We don't think about those that we're really protecting by heeding the restrictions. And some people um, don't want to heed to the, the current restrictions. And they're echoing Jonah's cry, it's better for me to live without them. I don't care about others' health like I care about my own. I care about my own lifestyle more. It's better for me. What's God's res response to this? overwhelming sense of selfishness. Does God come down hard on Jonah? No, God just simply asks Jonah a question. Is it right for you to be angry? God is so gracious to Jonah. There's no condemnation. It's just a question. Just an ability for, for God to, to use the situation to turn Jonah's mind towards an alternative, towards thinking a different way. God, when he hears our honesty, doesn't want to come down hard on us and say, you shouldn't think like that. He doesn't do it like that. He just causes us to, to think, to see a different perspective, to ask us a question. He does it with this loving kindness to give us a heart check, to, for us to inquire about what real truth is. Is it right for you to be angry? 
Is it right for you to feel this way? Is it how you should be feeling? And of course, most of the time when we come with these frustrations, we know, no, it's not how I should be feeling. But when we come to God with our honest prayers, God is able to use that to turn us around and reorientate our heart towards the way he wants us to be. Then it goes on after God asks this question, is it right for you to be angry? And uh, it, it talks about this, this part where Jonah goes out of the city. And uh, I love this verse in verse 6. God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. And Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. It's like the first time Jonah is happy in the whole story. And it's around a plant. I mean, I'm sure my wife would love this verse as well, I'm sure. Like a plant, you know, what could you possibly get more excited about? I wonder if it was variegated. I wonder what sort of plant it was. Was it Anyway, you know, he's just happy with this plant that's over his head that he had nothing to do with. God provided it for him. God was gracious enough to give him a plant. But Jonah was happy with the plant. He wasn't happy about Nineveh repenting from sin. He wasn't happy with God rescuing him from certain death in the, in the choppy waters, but he was happy with a plant. Jonah is, is out of the city at this point, and he's perched himself up on this east side of the city to, I think in his mind, hope, hopefully watch it burn. He's hoping that, you know, the message that of prophecy he brought, remember in last week's, or in the last chapter, um, Jonah's message was, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. Nineveh will be destroyed. Um, but little does he know, he's the one that's about to be scorched by the sun. So Jonah's under the tree. He's happy because, it's again, it, it reflects his selfishness. It's, it's showing us and hiding just how selfish he is. It, it's something good for him, so he's happy. He gets the tree, it helps him out, and he's just happy with it. And when we find joy in our benefits, it's empty, and it leaves us wanting more. Jonah's always going to be on this um, pursuit of happiness and joy because he's just looking for it for himself. But when we find our joy in God, and when we find our joy in seeing others um, encountering the grace of God and being used by God for the sake of other people, we find an everlasting joy that we can't find in just our own selfish ambition or our own selfish pursuits. So here Jonah is, he's happy, he's under the plan. And then through the night, God sends a worm to eat the tree, causing it to die. And Jonah goes from someone who's so happy to someone who is just as angry and selfish as he ever was before. Where's my tree gone? I just love, you know, this, this book of extremes. You've got this whale in chapter 2 that's um, God sends a whale to rescue, redeem, and capture Jonah's attention. And then you've got a worm. You've gone from the biggest animal to one of the smallest animals. And God is using everything to help bring Jonah back to a sense of who he is and what his plan is. You know, God will use the big things in our life to grab our attention and also the small things. The biggest tragedies, the biggest hurts, the biggest pains and the smallest inconveniences. God can use both to grab our attention if we'll let him and reorientate our hearts towards his plan and his mission for our life. It's exactly what he's doing here with Jonah. Where has my tree gone? Jonah's thinking to himself. He's continued in his entitled, selfish, brat-type ways, thinking the world revolves around him, thinking that this plant that just popped up and gave him shade, somehow now he deserved that plant. He was entitled to having a plant. And where has it gone? Where's my plant? 
How many of us live like that? We live in a generation and a culture that is intolerant in so many ways that we deserve certain things. We deserve a certain amount of money, a certain lifestyle, a certain amount of food, a certain amount of comfort in all these things. And, and the point of seeing ourselves in this story is to remember that we don't actually deserve anything. We don't even deserve the lung in our own, the, the breath in our own lungs. God has um, given us everything by his own grace, by his own love for us. We are deserving of nothing. We are entitled to nothing. And we can easily fall into Jonah's way of thinking when we forget who we are and who God is. When we think we deserve certain things and forget that God is creator, he is king. We can so easily forget that we are a sinner saved by grace. That we are made in the image of God, we are fallen, broken people, and we need a saviour. So here is Jonah, under the tree that once was there, the plant that once was there. He's angry. He's angry about the worm eating the plant, but he doesn't, it, this, the scripture, the, the verses don't really give us an indication that Jonah knows that the worm came along. He's just angry that the plant's not there anymore. He's just angry at the outcome. And I love this, that the outcome is caused by something. For the plant, its death was caused by the worm. For the Ninevites, their sin was caused by the enemy. It was caused by their spiritual blindness. You know, so often we get caught up being angry at an outcome, angry at a situation, and, and we have forgotten what has caused that to to be the way it is. You know, Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rules, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So often we get caught up on outcomes instead of causes. We think that people are sinful and broken because of their own selfishness and desires. And we forget that there is a real battle going on for humanity. A real battle going on where the devil seeks to kill and destroy and the Father seeks to love and redeem. Your life, the people in your world, the people you like and the people you don't like, it, we're all together in this, this same cosmic battle. Our battle is not against the people we see or even the outcome we experience, against, but it's against the evil at work. We don't fight our way back to God by raising our voice and by shaking our fists, we fight our way back to God and fight uh, for others on our knees in prayer, understanding that it's a spiritual battle. There are spiritual forces at play. Honest prayers, heartfelt prayers for our redemption and for the redemption of others. I think Jonah needs to understand this, that Nineveh's sin was not because Nineveh was just selfish and caught up in their own desires, but because they were spiritually blind to the things of God and that he was the one sent there to open their eyes and to help them see the grace of God, which they did. And this is what happens. Verse 10 and verse 11, let's finish this up. And the Lord said, You cared about the plant, which you did not labour over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which is more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. God cares more about people than you do about anything in your world. Whether you're caught up caring about a plant that was once there before, 
or whatever it is in your life that you've grown to, to fall in love with, that you care about more than you do about people. God says, can't I care about my children? Can't I care about my creation? Can't I care about my people? Can I show you how much I care? How much I love the unlovable? These people can't work out their left from right, it says. It's not that they're uneducated or silly people. It's just that they don't know what they're doing. It's echoing these words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, people that are far from God, people that haven't accepted Jesus into their world, don't even know why they need a saviour. Don't even understand what right and wrong is in the way that we who follow Jesus do. And so let's look at people the way God looks at people, in need of a saviour, the same as us. Our sin may be different, but it requires the same saviour. It requires Jesus. He loves, he rescues, he redeems. He loves his friends and his enemies. He redeems his friends and his enemies. You and all the people you are called to reach. God's love is for you. His love is endless, boundless. And I want to encourage you this morning as we finish our time in Jonah, whether you identify with Jonah or whether you identify with the Ninevites, whether you find yourself far from God or just in a battle against what God wants for your life, there's grace for you. God's grace runs deep. And he is ready and willing to receive you into his plan for your life. The moment you will turn around. You know, one of the things that I discovered through this, um, reading the book of Jonah and reading about it, is in chapter 3 when Jonah comes and gives this prophetic word. Um, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. Some verses or some translations say Nineveh will be destroyed. Some say Nineveh will turn around or be overturned. And that word overturned or turn around or destroyed is this sense of just turning over or destroyed. And, and it can be, um, depending on the context, it can be a positive thing or a negative thing. You know, like you might destroy um, a, a car in a car crash. I haven't thought of an analogy. You could destroy a car in a car crash. Or you could destroy a, a game of chess and absolutely destroy your opponent. One is like a positive thing, like you win a game, and another is a negative thing, like you've written off your car. It's the same word, and in here it's the same thing. That the Jonah's intent was, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned, or will be destroyed. But in God's mind, it was, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. They will turn around, they will repent. There will be a change of heart. And I pray that you will hear this message of hope, that there is an opportunity for you to turn around, not be destroyed, but to turn and encounter God's grace for your life. God has nothing but love for you. He wants you to come as you are, with no filter, no facade, with a heartfelt, honest prayer. And he wants to show you his grace. I pray that you would turn to him again today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. God, that we can turn to you as we are, where we are, and God, that you accept us. God, I pray for people this morning that feel like they can't be honest before you or feel like they've got too much sin to deal with. God, would you remind them again of your loving kindness, that you are slow to anger. 
quick to give grace. God, would you help us to trust you this morning for our own salvation and for the redemption of people in our world. Use us as you want. Redeem us as you plan. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us this morning. And uh, we'll see you again next Sunday.